Welcome to the Legacy Nashville podcast. We are so grateful that you've taken the time out of your day or night to tune in. We pray that this message encourages you to love God, love people, and change the world. Now, let's get to the message. Thank you. You're very kind. I don't like this. Do you? No, but we have uh, our parents and a newborn in our family. So, you know, the way I look at this, the masks are all about one thing, laying your life down for others. That's all that is. You know, we can get caught in culture these days with goofy stuff. Amen. And one of the things that I've learned over the years is, I'll have to hold it like this, is often what we do is we take and make judgments about God and his word through the eyes of culture. And we make decisions about what we think about God because, you know, my friend is this and God doesn't like that. And, that. and, and we make decisions about what's going on in the world through the lens of culture. We make judgments about God and the scriptures. As followers of Jesus, it always starts this way. Always. Always. So when I have a young boy in our congregation die as he's just serving someone else, cutting the lawn before they get home on vacation, I don't have answers. I don't have to pretend I have answers. I can grieve with the mom, but I can also say, come on, Lord, come alongside this woman, come alongside this family. But I don't have to make a judgment on God and saying, you're not good. Do you understand how thick we are in that? So this... I didn't look at this through Democrat, through Republican, through medical. Through, here's, here's what I know. The Bible says we're to walk under authority. Yeah. And unless the authorities are doing something that's illegal, immoral, unethical, or unbiblical, I'm supposed to do it. If it's illegal, immoral, unethical, or unbiblical, then, like there's some states right now, you guys, where you know they can't do this. And, but yet you can have a gazillion people in the strip club and the casinos. If I'm living in that state, it's a different conversation. Okay? See? And so we have to start with the scriptures. And we have to start at what Jesus says. And that's where it all begins. So it's, it's, it's a privilege to be here and to be unmasked. All right? So I'm grateful to be here with you. Love Blissey. I've known her since she was born. And I could tell you some stories, but we won't get into that today since it is being recorded. Um, <laughs> and Seth, I had the privilege of doing their wedding last October and, and uh, just love them very much. And uh, had Carl and Lila. We've been a part of their lives since 93. Is that about right? So push, push in three decades. So met Allison when she was five or six. And so I've known her a long time. And uh, she was three. Like I said, she was three. All right. So have known her a long time and actually just had an opportunity to be with your pastor and Allison for the first time to kind of get to know Lyle just about two weeks ago. And uh, similar heart, my background is in missions, youth with a mission and, uh, you know, involved in the nations and a lot of different things. So we have a very similar heart and probably like about an 80% DNA match because of our own journeys and and experiences. So so delighted to be here. So when he said, hey, would you come and speak? I was very honored to do that. But I also need to tell you that, you know, I said, what, where can I go in the word? What would be a help? And he said, would you talk about disciple making? 
It's a lot of where I spend my time. I lead an organization that focuses on helping churches become disciple-making churches, but equally walking alongside leaders in society, government, government leaders, media, of course, Nashville here, arts entertainment, who love Jesus but have never been discipled. And so we pour the ways of God into them and then say, now turn around in your sphere of society or your vocation and do the same. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way, but disciple making is still Jesus's original plan to change the world. Is that me? I'm good? All right. And, and I, I want you to think about that. It's Jesus's original plan, not just to grow Christians, but to change the world. Because the way the world gets changed is when you put the things of God into somebody's life so that no matter what role in society they're in, they're going to reference the ways of God. Yeah. It doesn't mean they're wearing their I Love Jesus t-shirt, but the way, the way they relate to people, the decisions they make, caring for the least of these. All those factors then become a grid that no matter, you know, if you're a butcher, baker, or candlestick maker, all right, if you're the president of the United States, if you're a well-known artist, if you're a faithful school teacher, it doesn't matter. There's a lens that you look through that makes you different. See, society gets changed through prayer, but it also gets changed by our obedience to the things that God's taught us to walk in. And that's something we have, to, we have to swim in. So your pastor knows this is a, a, a place that I live a lot. So I just want to share some things with you about Jesus' vision of disciple making so that you can catch it. My aim today is just to put a little taste in your mouth as well as try to convince you that this is not optional. It, it's, this isn't something you go home, well, I'm just going to pray about it. No, you should just be going home to pray about who. Okay. And, but see, I, I don't know that we see it that way. I don't know that we see it that way. Let, let me, this next slide, I just put here the world we live in right now and, and on our watch. Like the world we live in right now, from spiritual leaders that are way smarter than me, they've said, Dave, do you realize this probably is the most biblically illiterate generation of Christians that have ever walked the planet? That, that we haven't, we don't know the word. And again, you guys, the word is not, it's not, and again, I know some of us grew up in backgrounds, be in the word, be in, I'm not that guy. But I am saying he gave that to us so that we could see what he's really like. Now I'm using my iPad Bible today, but if I would have brought my Bible with you, I would show you that every name, title, and attribute of God's character is highlighted with a purple pencil in my Bible so that when I open it, his character screams at me. Like, gang, I love your worship, and I love worshiping. Here's the thing I want to ask you, though. As you were worshiping today, how often did you attach the words of the songs to the character of God? Because sometimes, let me just say this, it's not purposeful, but we can create a culture in our own hearts of we're actually worshiping the worship rather than worshiping God. And we can get, because it's like, ah, uh, you know, it's just like, Tell me your name, who is leading worship today. Brian. Brian. Thank you, Brian. It's like Brian was saying, it's like we don't need, like I, I tease our worship band at our church. I'm, I'm one of the pastors part-time. I work with our pastoral uh, young pastors who are church planting and de developing them. And um, I often will kid as I come up to preach I'll, with our worship leader, hey, could you, could you do that in my bedroom at 5.30 when I get up? <laughs> right? 
Because, because it's like, but see, sometimes we come in here and it's like, what you're doing is you're saying to the worship team, pump me up. Get me going. I had a really bad week. Would you get me going? Now, is there truth in the reality that worship does that? Of course. However, if we're not seeing behind the worship and when we're singing about him as a shepherd, are we, do we know him in the word as a shepherd that we can trust? Because see, when times get difficult, worship is one of those places that lets us let go of everything and lean into God. But the thing that happens is when we all leave each other, do you still have God to lean on? Like, do you know him? And see, right now we're being challenged in this in our culture. Do we really know God? Or do we just live for our, for our experiences, which is part of it, right? The whole Psalms is David talking about his experiences about God. So that's a right biblical part of our faith, just like the songs this morning. So many of the songs were pointing us to our experiences with God. That's an awesome thing. Equal to that, we've got to know his character, okay? Got to know his character. Who is he? What's he really like? Because here's the deal. If you don't know someone's character, you can't trust them. Like, like if... If it's Seth and I at the beach, and I had $100 in my swim shorts and I forgot to take it out, I wouldn't hesitate to say, hey, could you hold this for a minute? But if it's somebody I'd never met and say, hey, could you hold this? The person's going, sure, happy. To, you know, we, why would we not do that? Because we don't trust them. Why? Because we don't know them. And the Bible says in Proverbs 3, trust the Lord with half your heart. Right? We know Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust the Lord with all your heart, and check out the next part of it, and do not lean on your own understanding. I want you to think about this. How often do we lean on our own understanding, and when we don't understand it, we just kind of put God, we're back to this. We put God here. We make judgments on God because we don't understand. That's where we can't lean on our own understanding. It doesn't mean you don't use your mind. God says we're to love him with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. But there's times we have to trust. If you would see me in my study at home sometimes, you know, you would see me just, you know, I, I don't get it. Like when that 15-year-old boy dies, I, I'm just going, God, I don't understand. And yet I will say, but I trust you. And sometimes I have to say it that way. I have to earn it out of my mouth. But you guys, God wants us to know him. It's like there's just a lot of goofiness going on in the planet right now. It's not going to get easier anytime soon. So we just need to know that. Okay? And I don't say that as a dooms. All I'm saying is it's not going to get easier soon because the Lord's inviting us to press into him. Because we have an opportunity on the other side, not just of COVID and what's going on now, but on the other side of this next five to ten years of determining what our nation and the world can look like if we walk in God's ways. Like we, so I, it's like, it's like, ah, mask, ah, don't like it. I don't like seeing your smiling faces. I don't like being able to just come up when Bliss has introduced me to you, just go, hi, it's good to meet you. I like doing that. So I don't like this. However, God's teaching us how to endure. See, we, we don't do a really good job of enduring. We, we quit quick. And I, I was just talking with a artist friend this week about this and she, and she was she was saying Dave why don't we don't know how to endure we quit quick when it doesn't go our way and and then she said and there's also all these immediate conflicts like she posted something on Facebook and got this huge reaction 
And so we were talking about it, and I said, look, what year were you born? And she told me. I said, well, you weren't aware of the time when, and I'm just throwing this out as an illustration. There was a guy who was a president here in our nation once called Ronald Reagan. There was a, at the time he was president, there was a man who was a, in the opposite party, he was a Democrat whose name was Tip O'Neill. He was the Speaker of the House. Very strong opinions, just like a Trump and a Pelosi. Very strong opinions. And those guys would battle it out, but when the day was done, one of the two of them would say, like Tip O'Neill would say, Ronnie, where are we going for a steak? Yeah. And they would go out and have a relationship. We don't know what that looks like. And I want to tell you, at 61, I've lived long enough to watch what that can look like. And when I look now, sometimes I go, like, we can't, if you just disagree on one little thing. Like, you know, I come in walk, wearing my Vikings mask, and someone goes, I'm a Packer fan. I can't have a relationship with you. But, but you, I'm playing. But you know what I'm saying, right? It's like, we, we don't know how. We have an opportunity as the body of Christ to show the world how to do these things, okay? So we're living in a really ripe opportunity right now to be different, okay? Not for the sake of being different, but because Jesus's way is wise and it's different than the world's ways. And we have to realize that the world is looking at followers of Jesus. And if we're just like them in our attitudes, it undermines all our credibility. So no matter how radically we try to worship God in a place where we're safe like this, it's what happens out there when we're rubbing shoulders with our neighbors. It's the attitudes when we're at work. Like, like does your employee say about you, man, if I just had another 100 of you, this company would be awesome. Or are they behind your back saying, when can we get rid of them? That's, that's where the rubber meets the road, is there. Because in here, glorious. Little taste of what heaven's going to be like. But we're not there yet. There's assignments Jesus has given us to reflect him in the world and, as we're going to talk about today, reproduce him amongst other followers. Okay? So let's look at the vision of Jesus here. Matthew 28. You're familiar with this passage of scripture. You know, it's a... It's an oldie but a goodie, all right? It's the very uh, end of Jesus' life here, and he says this. All authority, he's talking to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Can I just say, like, that's a lot, yeah. right? Go, therefore, or in light of that, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe or obey all that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And one of the things I want you to understand is when, like I, I like to go back sometimes, and I'm one of those guys that when I go see history things, I don't like to be rushed. You know, like I, I took some of our Belmont crew uh, to the Pentagon about mm, two years, whenever it was finished, two years after 9-11. And a military guy walked us in. It was, this was our teenagers. We took about 25 of them when they had gone through, they were juniors and seniors that we said, hey, if you're willing to walk through this discipleship leadership training in the spring, we're just going to take you to DC, see some things, teach you about some things and no political stuff at all, but just history. And so we're standing, literally you guys, the, the, the Marine that's walking us. When you're in the Pentagon and there's 26 of us, they had a Marine or um, guy from the Navy or Army in front and they had two in the back. So you're not getting lost in there because it's like 26 miles in there. I mean, for real, it's just amazing. So they're, and they're mocking each other, you know, the Navy guys saying things about the Marine. I mean, they're just having fun and, and over us, you know, as we're walking in the middle. And um, 
you know, it, it's like he takes us to this place and he's, he, he has us all gather. He says, look out this window. He said, this is the exact place right here where the plane struck the building. And now they've made it a little kind of memorial, half the size of this room. And so the kids are all looking and I'm just like this, standing out looking at the window and I'm starting to imagine. And so the Marines say, hey, tell me about that. He said, you see those telephone wires right there? Out, you know, three, 400 yards away. I said, yeah. He said, the plane wheels were so low that it took, it hit those and dragged those poles right out of the ground. And I, and I, I like to pause and I like to think about it. Well, I lived seven years in Hawaii and so when I'm in Pearl Harbor and I'm standing on the USS Arizona and when you look in the water at one part of the Arizona, about the size of a dime, every minute or two, there's a drop of oil that comes up still leaking from the original ship. Yeah, it causes that reality of 1941 to be right here as it hits the water and spreads. So I do that with Jesus. And the thing that we have to realize is when he said these words that I just read, here's how the disciples would have heard it. Hey guys, what I've done for you the last three years, just go do that. Like that, that's how they heard it. So you have to understand that the book, of Acts, the book of Acts is not the book of Acts because of the coming of the Holy Spirit. The book of Acts is the book of Acts because of the coming of the Holy Spirit on discipled people. I love the book of Acts, one of my top five books in all the Bible. But you guys, we have to realize the reason Acts is Acts is because of the three years prior that Jesus poured into them. Nobody's going to argue, well, we got to be dependent on the Holy Spirit. You got to follow his. Of course we do. But I want you to understand the fruit of Acts, where churches were planted, culture was changed, all these things. We have to realize it's a result of three years of Jesus investing in them, then the Holy Spirit coming upon them. Whole different way to look at it. So if we want to see more churches plant, if we want to see culture change, if we want to see more people come to Jesus, we got to go back to what he asked us to do. He didn't, like, let me just say it this way. He didn't say to the disciples here in Matthew 28, go therefore and change culture. He didn't even say go therefore and get a bunch of people saved. He didn't even say go therefore and plant churches. He said go make disciples because he knows if you do that first, those others naturally follow. Let me just tell you the mistake I think we make. We make the goal, new converts, changing culture, planting churches. It should just be the fruit of good discipleship. Guys, do you see what I'm saying? It's a, it's, a, it's a different set of lenses, but it's his set. Like I've watched for years now, like when I was in 18, I went, left, uh, graduated from high school and went off to be a missionary for seven years. And so I've watched all kinds of people trying to change culture and trying, and, and it, it's gotten worse. It's not gotten better. And I'm submitting to you why. It's because we're not discipling people who serve in the various vocations of society who then can, God can go like Daniel, Esther, Nehemiah. Ever heard of those people? Where God said, okay, I see you're prepared, so now I'm going to put you here. Or Joseph. He got his schooling in prison. God taught him about his character and ways while he was in prison. And then Pharaoh has a dream. And like, like guys, I don't know if you've thought about this. I don't know what day it was. But let's say it was a Thursday morning. Joseph wakes up in Old Testament prison there. And he's still accused of raping an Egyptian noblewoman. And by noon, he's second in command of the whole land. Like, what is that? 
And the thing we have to realize, we're never supposed to be trying to climb a ladder. And I'm the first one to love destiny messages, but let me just tell you something. Don't focus on your destiny. Focus on the journey. Because when you focus on the journey, you will land at your destiny prepared. If you're focusing on your destiny, you might land there, but you're ill-equipped. So it's, it's focus on what Jesus asks us to focus on. Okay? All right, let's keep going. So let's talk about disciple-making. So I want to give you some vision, and if we have time, I'll give you some practical things, and if not, we can do that another time maybe. So Delisle says, yeah, this guy's not so good. All right, so... So let me give you the context. Let me give you the context. Yeah, Lyle and Allison, you better not be watching. You are on vacation. So let me give you some context here, all right? Jesus in the rabbinic world. So this is just a little bit of background because of doing some writing things. I've had to do homework. And so let me just share a little bit about this with you. So Jesus, like all rabbis would have had the clear intention of his teaching and mission was to be replicated exactly by his followers. That was the mentality of a rabbi. See, he wasn't the only one. Rabbis were these, these men that would go around and they were like little teaching pods. And people would leave their home for a while and these young men would go and they'd follow this guy around. We know they followed Jesus for how long? Three years. And he poured the things of God into their lives. Okay? And so the mentality was... And you see this um, often like in the book of John where Jesus says, just as I, like after he washed their feet, just as I, so you. That's rabbinic language. That's multiplication language. What I just modeled for you, I want you to, this is to be a part of your life, okay? Teacher-disciple relationships were characterized by the concept of mimetis, all right, which is where we get the word mime, all right, which is, it's, it means imitator. They were bound together by a certain practice of life and instruction, and the student was recognizable in his imitation of the way of life and manner of the teacher. Do you remember when Jesus dies, rises, ascends to heaven, and the disciples are there in the book of Acts, and they go, we can tell these guys have been with Jesus. Because the way they lived, the manner in which they carried themselves, how they, not, not parroting, they all had their own personalities, but they expressed God. And the people went, I can tell you've been with Jesus. Yeah. All right? So in that imitating dynamic, that was the fruit of it. They could tell they'd been with Jesus. Check this out. Ben Sirah, 175 BC, so 175 years-ish before Jesus came, cites the goal of a rabbi is to train his student to such an extent that, quote, when his father, teacher, disciple maker, dies, it is as though he's not dead for he leaves behind one like himself. See, that, so when Jesus goes, okay, here's the 12 guys, this is his heart. I need to pour in in such a way that when I'm gone, they got it. I want to ask you a question. Have you poured into anybody in your life with that kind of attitude? Like if you got taken out tomorrow, is there somebody that knows God as much as you that you've poured into? See, that's what Jesus did. That's why we get these disciples you know, pre-Holy Spirit, and then boom, the Holy Spirit comes, and you mesh those two things, and that's why it's, it's like I oftentimes, you know, like to say, uh, I was in Germany not long ago, and when I was preaching to the guys, I said, guys, you need to learn to be dangerous men. Yeah. Ladies, you need to be, learn to be dangerous. You want to look in the mirror when you're brushing your teeth in the morning and say, you are one dangerous woman. <laughs> All right? Guys, you don't want to say that. You want to say man. Okay, but you get my point. You, you want to be dangerous. 
Not to the world around you, but to hell. Right? You want to be dangerous. It's like when Brian comes walking in the room, they go, oh, shoot, Brian's here again. But see, you guys, to get that, yes, there's our place as sons and daughters and who we are, period. But there's the muscling up in the things of God because the end, like, can I just flip this on its head and say, because I know many of you are listening to me and going, I've never been discipled like that. So let me just kind of say it this way. Have you ever considered it's why the devil gets us focusing on everything else but? Guys, because he knows. He has seen it. If people get poured into, their lives are transformed. And here's what's dangerous. They keep doing it for others. So the enemy, you know, it's kind of like, remember the movie Up? Squirrels. And squirrels all over. And it's, oh, how about if we do that? And, and, and so I just want to say to you, who are you discipling? Who are you pouring the things of God into, making sure they got it? That's the core of what Jesus, see, Jesus taught the multitudes, but he invested in 12. Like what, we have to be careful again of the world's way of looking at things because always bigger is better, right? Do you know that Jesus, his little group of 12, he may not have been able to get a business loan. It was such a small group. But here's the thing I've learned. The kingdom is often opposite than the world. Greater time invested in a smaller group of people yields greater kingdom fruit. Yeah. <laughs> greater time invested in fewer people yields greater kingdom fruit. That, wh why can we say that? Because that's what Jesus did. Like he's always our model. And that doesn't mean you don't enjoy the big gatherings. It doesn't mean you don't, you'd stop. It doesn't mean any of that because that fuels things. That adds momentum to things. There's all that. But you guys, it comes down to, and, and you know, we can get into this a whole nother time, but it's, it's your wiring. Like my wife just got done pouring into four millennial young ladies in our church over a span of a year, just deeply pouring into them. For me, so, and share, if you get more than three or four shows, like, mm-mm. No, I'm more of a maximizer. Give me 12 or 15. It's just kind of my, because I'm thinking, if I'm going to do it for bliss, why not do it for 14 others, right? I mean, that's just kind of how I think. So a lot of it's wiring. Some people are one-on-one, -on -one, some are one-on-a few, some are one-on-many. It doesn't, there's no way to measure that. When people say to me, the only way to do it is one-on-one, -on -one, I go, Jesus. Yeah. Uh, Jesus did 12. Yeah. Uh, it's a great way. Do it that way, but don't say it's the only way. Okay. So a lot of it depends on your makeup and your wiring of how, how relational things are and how you do it in your gifts and all that. But I want to challenge you. Who are you discipling? Who is a little younger believer than, and just so you know this, you don't have to have a bachelor's, master's, doctorate degree. Here's, here's how, how you measure who you can disciple. If you're one step ahead. That's it. That's it. Yeah, but it's not, it's only like a foot. I, it, if you're a step ahead, okay, you can help them get that next step. All right? Now, obviously, this begins in our families, okay? Husbands and wives, I don't know if you know this, but in God's eyes, he's put you together because your spouse is meant to disciple you. Like, like I don't know if you know this, but 
next to the voice of God in your life, did you know that your spouse is the loudest voice of God for those of you that are married? Yeah. It's not your pastor. It's not Billy Graham. It's your spouse. So if you're married, the loudest voice of God in your life is your spouse next to you hearing from God. And yet think of how often we say, you don't know what you're talking about. I don't want to do. And it's, it's the Holy Spirit going, hum, 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 hum. pray about that one. Let's close in prayer. All right. It's another message. Okay. So look at, look at this passage in first Corinthians. All right. First Corinthians chapter four. It was the new Testament way of life. So when Jesus ascends to heaven, they go do what he asks. And we see this in Paul in 1 Corinthians 4. Move by the way a little bit here so you can see. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators, there it is again, of me. This is why I sent you Timothy, notice the language here, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. So in other words, it's like I have poured into Timothy. So if you're with him, it's, you're similar to just being with me. Be why? Because of this whole area of passing things on. When they're not there, who's left is a direct reflection of what was invested. Okay. Are you guys tracking with me? So I like to refer to the book of Acts. Yes, it is the Acts of the Holy Spirit, rightly named, but I also like to wink and say it could be called the Acts of the Discipled. Because that's what it is. It's the Acts of the Discipled when they encounter the Holy Spirit. Stuff happens. Acts is an amazing book. Ch check it out. Check this next slide. Disciple making was God's primary way, and still is today, of advancing his kingdom. Okay, I want you to catch that. Disciple-making is God's primary. I'm not saying only, but I am saying primary. It's his primary way of advancing the kingdom. Because the more it gets advanced in a person you're pouring into, the more they have to give out to others. But if not, can I, can I be honest and say, right now in our country, our, the body of Christ is very thin spiritually. Like I, I have wondered over three decades now, like if persecution really hit us, Like, would we make it? Or would we cave? Guys, we, we, we have to realize. I, let me tell you a story, story that happened in a nation in Africa many years ago. A guy who was uh, the youth pastor in his youth group, he had been pastoring them and ministering to them. And one night as they were meeting as a youth group, they were worshiping, and in the back comes a man with a gun. And he comes running up to the front in the midst of worship, and he says to them, I'm gonna give you one opportunity to either align to Jesus or get out of here. And as he, I mean, it's like, you can imagine, sweat, tensity, all this. People are just starting to kind of back off and move away, and as he does so, he takes off this, the face guard he had on it was the youth pastor. He said, I just wanted to see who was really in. Little weird way to do it. <laughs> but he found out who was in. Guys, I, I have relationships with people who've had to walk this real life thing through with people when ISIS would come into the home of Iraqis to believers. And if they're really honest, they'll tell you, one, one man wept and said, I couldn't do it because he said, if you, do not, if you do not deny the Lord right now, I will shoot your children. And the rest of them had guns to his kids. And he wept because he couldn't. He said, I couldn't see my kids killed, but I've denied the Lord. And so imagine that ministry situation you have to deal with. And others 
where you hear the testimony. The parents were killed right on the spot as they didn't deny the Lord and the kids did not either, even seeing their parents killed. When I think of that in our land, you guys, I, I just wonder, would we wilt? Because we don't have the rods of God in us. Discipleship adds the rods of God in you. Listen, the disciples, the original 12, you know what happened with Judas. John, they just kind of, let's just get him shut up and they put him up over, you know, on the Isle of Patmos so he's alone so he couldn't infect people, so to speak, with the gospel. The other 10, do you know? Every one of them, boiled in oil, sawn in two. Peter was crucified upside down because he said he wasn't worthy of being crucified like Jesus. Do you understand our heritage is that 10 of the 12 were martyrs, which tells us how they had to go against the grain of things. Disciples get that. Followers of Jesus need to be grown into that. We have to be those kind of people that know how to stand. Disciple making adds those rods of God inside of us, okay? So look at the, look at the uh, church here in Acts. Just notice, again, remember, the Holy Spirit coming upon disciple. Can you go back to that last one? Thank you. Disciple making was God's primary way of advancing his kingdom. Look at the fruit of disciple making in Acts. And tell me if you wouldn't want to be a part of this kind of church. A praying and empowered, you didn't have to rally people for prayer meetings. A united one heart, one mind church. They weren't arguing about, I don't like the color of the carpet. All right? A church that operated out of God's ways by following the scriptures and the lead of the Holy Spirit. You guys, let me just pause here and say this. Please, 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 as you grow in the Lord, say, Jesus, make me a woman, make me a man of the word and the spirit. Because that's what Jesus was. See, if you're a person just of the spirit and you're not grounded in the word, you can get out in la-la land. If you're a person that's grounded in the word but not following the lead of the Holy Spirit, you're not going to be current in what God's trying to do. You don't know how to listen in the moment. So we have to be both. So if you, and, and guess what? When you were born, you tend to lean one way or another. Just, just how you're wired. Some of you lean more intuitive, following the wind, following, and others of you are more, I gotta, I gotta know what that says. Either way's cool. Just remember that the opposite of what you're not, you've gotta build up. And the thing that you have to do and know is this, the Holy Spirit can only pull out of you what you've put inside of you of the word. Like he, like he can't pull out some random Bible memory verse if you've never memorized it. I, like I have found this out over years of journey with Jesus. This is year 48 for me of journey with Jesus, year 43 in ministry. And I, sometimes I'm sitting there and I'm giving input to someone and all of a sudden there's this impression inside of me, following the lead of the Holy Spirit, where he's pulling something out of the word. And I, I'm not always good with verses, but I'm usually good with chapters, just kind of how I think. And, and all of a sudden I'm saying, you know, in John chapter 14, it says, and later I'm going... Like that wasn't even a memory verse. Like how did, and the Lord reminds you it's because you've been over it and over it and over it and over it. It gets in you. Let me tell you, let me just pause and tell you this story quick. So there was a man that was speaking at a convention. They took a break when they were all coming back in the room with their coffee and all that. 
you know, several thousand people starting to be seated. The guy who was the speaker just stood, took the microphone. And here's what he did. He started singing a song that, you know, you've seen some of this, maybe these growing up or uh, on reruns, but here's what he started singing. Flintstones, meet the Flintstones. And the whole audience starts singing it. Yeah. Have a yabba dabba doo time. I mean, they're all singing the song. He has them sit down, they're laughing, and then he says, let me ask you a question. How did you get that in you? Right. He said, did anybody take your computer or a pad and you wrote down, you paused and wrote down the lyrics, not one person. He said, you know how you got in you? Put yourself in front of it over and over and over. You know this about songs you sing because you've heard it 4,500 times. So you know, I oh, man, I know the lyric. Do we do that with the word? So let me just tell you something. I don't know why this is, but some quiet times I have in the mornings rock. It's like Jesus walked in the room. And other times it's crickets. And I'm going, I don't know. And I don't know why. It's not, I didn't have pizza last night. I don't know why. It just is. And I think it's just because of the human condition that we live in. But here's the thing I want you to know. Even on those quiet times where it doesn't feel thick with his presence, when you're in the word, your spirit's going, oh, oh, that's so good. Can I have some more? Pass the A1 steak sauce, please. That is so good. Because it's still getting in you. Because the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. So don't just have a, like, guys, we can't be just feelers as Christians. We have to be people of principle. It's not either or. It's both. Because when you're in the workplace, when you're dealing as a leader and you have to make a choice in the next 10 minutes, Yes, I draw immediately. I try to get near to Jesus in that 10 minutes, but I'm also relying on, okay, what have you taught me of your word? What is your ways I'm to walk in? Because then I know I can be true. Are you tracking? Okay. So look at here, a, a maturing, obedient church, a missional and cultural impacting church, an enduring church that feared God above else, no matter what. A church that was committed to the glory of God. Like who doesn't want to pastor that or be a part of that? disciple-making, the fruit of it. So let's do this. Um, let me just keep the, the slide there, and then I'm going to go to the slide where there's the Lauren Cunningham quote. Let me just tell you a story here. So why am I passionate about this? Well, when I was 20 years of age, I had graduated from high school at 18. I went to a missions organization. Some of you are familiar with YWAM, Youth with a Mission. So I, I went to YWAM. I had the privilege of being at the base where their founder was, and he took an interest in my life and started pouring the ways of God into me. I traveled a bit with him. And one of the times that we were on a plane, again, remember I'm 20, he said to me, so Dave, what do you think your gifts are? And at 20, if I'm really honest, I'm kind of going, uh, you know, I'm, I'm still trying to figure it out. Right. And Lauren said this to me, and if you could put that slide up for me, here's what he said to me. He said, Dave, it doesn't matter how big the organizations are that you will lead, because he saw a leadership gift, or the size of the groups that you will teach, because he saw that in me. He said, the way that God will measure the fruitfulness of your life is have you invested to the third and fourth generation. And then he quoted me this scripture, and you can see it next here. 2 Timothy 2.2, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, that what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Look, this next slide will show you there's four generations here. Paul poured into Timothy. Timothy poured into faithful ones who poured into others. 
if you look at this next slide, you'll see a little image here. What you want to aim for is for generational disciple making. That's what you want to aim for. And by generation, I don't mean 40 years. I just mean, you know, Seth pours into Bliss, Bliss pours into me, I pour into Alice, four generations. So let me give you a couple pictures so you can just see what this looks like. So this next slide. So these are, this is Mark Miller. I poured into Mark. And Mark poured in to Doc. Doc's now a, a rapper that deals with the inner city kids in Cleveland. who's all kinds of awards. And I don't even remember this dear young guy's name because I just met him. Yeah. But he's my great-grandson in the Lord. Okay. Let me show you another picture. So this is in Pittsburgh. This is Kent Chevalier. I've poured into Kent since 2003. Kent's now the chaplain for the Pittsburgh Steelers. So actually, when they come to town in October, I'm doing their chapel, because he says, hey, come and pour into the guys. So Kent, who's now 43, poured into George, who's 65. George travels with me once in a while, and when I, I say, hey, my grandson's here, and everybody's expecting my little, and instead George comes walking up, and they go, what? He's my grandson in the Lord. Are you following me? Okay, and so look at this next one. So this is Mandisa. I've poured into Mandisa since American Idol days. This is her sister's group that she's pouring into, right? They're all young emerging artists that many of you have not heard of yet, but she's pouring the ways of God into them. So I told her one day, when am I going to meet my granddaughter? So now I've met some of them. But I want you to see if you want, you know, we talk a lot about generational stuff. If you want your life to count way beyond your span here when you're in heaven, that's why Jesus said, I want you to make disciples. Because your legacy, it'd be a great name for a church, your legacy, <laughs> your legacy lives for a long, long time. It's not about you, but it's about what you carried in Jesus. You guys tracking with me? Okay. So let me show you some disciple-making math just to kind of help you see this. All right? So let's just say there was 50 of us here this morning we talked about this, we worked through, you got a tool, you got all this stuff, and we all kind of put our hands in together and say, okay, I'm committed for the next 12 months to disciple two people, not five, not 10, not 12, like two. And I help you see, and I'll show you if we have time, how do you discern who are right people to pour into? Because there's some people you just need to shepherd, some people just need to be your friend, but then there's others you need to disciple. And those are the hungry of heart. They want to grow. And your words, because I don't think we're going to get here today, so I'll say this now. Your words are big in their ears. They're hungry. God's given you favor in their life, and your words are big in their ears. Like, in other words, when you say it, they do it. They come back for more. I want you to think right now, just for a minute with me, who's in your life right now where your words are big in their ears? There's some people you wish. Like, I wish... The president, my words would be big in his ears. I wish, you know, there were leaders in this city. My words are big in their ears. They're not. I don't know them. But God puts other people in their life. The question is, in whose ears are your words big? You might say, it's just my little sister. What if your little sister is meant to be, 30 years from now, the story that changed Iran from a Muslim nation to a Christian nation? But this is where we have to think long-term and eternal. Disciple makers are not short-term thinkers. They live for the long haul. And they live for heaven. Because they know that's where their prize will be counted. But you guys, what if that little sister is the person that God uses like a Hudson Taylor who flipped a nation? 
And it's that little, yeah, but she just always was dragging around on my dates. I turn around there, she's in the back seat, man. I just, okay, let's deal with that heart attitude. And then let's pour into the sister, right? So you have to pause and ask the question, in whose ears are your words big? That's a starting place to begin to pray about. Who should I be pouring into? Okay, if you're, if you're a mom or dad, obviously it starts right in your own home. Okay, but that's a question you have to ask. But let me show you this math. So let's just say we all found our two. Okay, you're equipped, you know what to do. We're all in this together. Stack our hands, you know, like Seth might with the guys on the team. Are we all in? We're all in. And the lower guy's going like, you know. Okay, so what happens? Let me just show you. The first year, there's 150 people that show back up after one year. Because there's 50 of you. You each had two. Are you tracking with me? Okay, so there's the original 50 plus the two. That's 100 plus the 50. All right, so no big deal, right? You gather together right here, and now you, you say, bring your two. There's 150 of us now. We just grew from three times, from 50 to 150 people ready to make more disciples. Then you do the same thing. A year later, there's 450. So you've gone in two years from 50 to 450. I'm not talking about disciples. I'm talking about disciple makers. Okay? There's a big, when Jesus said, go make disciples, that's what he meant. Go make disciple makers. In other words, the ripple effect of this is supposed to happen. So just play the math out. Let, let me show you. Go to the next slide, please. After 18 years, <clears throat> there's 19 billion people. And, and, the, and the world estimation at that time, population is 9 billion. So you, you've got double. And, and there's always somebody says, yeah, but not everybody's going to do it. Okay, well, let's cut it in half. You still win. Yeah. And you guys, what I want you to see, and I, and I just want you, I want you to hear this. Yeah. Were you shouting at me? Just shouting? All right. So guys, listen. Here's the deal. If I go to leadership strategy meetings local, national, global, where we got the three foot by two foot sticky pads all over the wall. And oftentimes there's not one pad that reminds us to do disciple making. Yeah. Guys, this is, this, this is real numbers. Yeah. Like add 18 years to your life where you could go, done, Jesus should be coming back anytime now. We've reached the whole world. Right. <laughs> like this is, this is why I said it's still his original plan to change the world. It's not called the Great Suggestion. It's the Great Commission. And we have to realize that. And it's, and it's called, like when I spell it out, I spell it out CO-mission because he invites us to co-mission with him. But guys, if we don't do this, we won't see this. Can I just be honest with you? The reason we're not seeing it now because is we haven't done it. Like for me, it's a tender place of repentance as the body of Christ. Like our country, just choosing our country, is in the condition it is in because the church has not obeyed the Great Commission. That's why. And, and we can pray for revival till we're blue in the face. But let me tell you something. God is not going to pour his spirit out on this land and have people just go to churches so they can go to potlucks. He wants to see his bride ready. And I believe 
I believe that when we are primed and ready to reproduce and we're faithful with whatever God gives us, he will pour out his spirit because then he knows when these new ones come into my bride, they will be discipled to reproduce. Because we don't do that right now, I believe that's why there's a pause. Yes, we should evangelize. Yes, we should worship. Yes, we should pray. Yes, we need to obey. But guys, if we don't do this, I don't think God's going to trust his bride with more people. Are you tracking with me? And I just want to challenge. This is part of God's heart. Now, we don't have time. Can you go to that slide after making disciple, making practice? I'm just going to show you this. I'm going to pick one thing just because of time. So when I deal with this, we deal with the aim of disciple making, which is, you know, reproducing three things, God's character, ways, and mission in the life of people through the scriptures and teaching them to follow the spirit, all that. But so they, they look more like his character. They're walking in his ways and they're about, they find their role on his team. Yeah. Okay. There's the ingredients, which I want to, you know, th there's, several things that are ingredients that have to do with disciple making that creates an environment of health. Okay. Jesus walked in those. There's the tools. What do I do? Who do I pick? How do I do it? There's all those. I just want to talk because of time about the process, because I think it's one thing that you can take away today that will be very helpful to you. So if you just go to the process slide there, and you can go to that first one that says the process of transformation. So so have you ever wondered how does the Holy Spirit actually transform us or transform Joe or Susie that we're trying to disciple? How does he do that? Because there is a process. It's God's process. This isn't Dave's idea. This is just acknowledging the process that God uses. Once you see this, you'll, in the next five to 10 minutes here, you're going to see it all in the Bible and you'll see it as you move forward. Okay? So <clears throat> I have a pastor in this city pastors a church here in the Nashville area who called me one day and said, can I buy you lunch? And I've learned over the years when someone's going to buy you lunch, it's always the will of God. Just know that, <laughs> right? So, so I go out to lunch with this guy and he, he, we, 10 minutes of exchanging family, what do you like to do, you know, all this stuff. And I could tell he's going to be a fast friend. This was about six, seven years ago. And I am with him again here in the next couple weeks. And here's what he said to me after the intros. He said, Dave, you know, I pastor a church. We really believe in the word. And they do. Good preaching church here in town. But he said, the people that I'm teaching aren't being transformed. Their attitudes aren't any better. They don't look for more actively for ways to serve. When we gather for prayer, there's, they're not there. They don't treat their spouses any better than before. And, and he was like almost defeated. And he said, I know you're a disciple maker. How do people get transformed? And I said this to him, I said, with a wink, I said, you know, the devil knows the Bible real well and he's not transformed either. So, and I said, and I'm not saying that to lower the word, I'm just saying it's not about what you know of the word, it's what you know of the word. In other words, it's what you apply. Remember Jesus? You know, is talking to them, he who hears my words and obeys them, this is Matthew 7, is like a wise man who builds his house on the, on the rock. And when the storms come and everything hits the fan, all right, you'll stand. But then the second statement, he who hears my word and doesn't do it is like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. 
And when the storm comes, and my friends in Hawaii know if they tried to build their home for their ohana to live in on the beach, it ain't going to last when the waves come in. The difference is this. He who hears my word and obeys it. It's not just hear it. Because others heard it and didn't do anything with it. So guys, that's you and me. What are we doing with what we're hearing? Do you know that we have notebooks this thick of teaching? Like, I don't know that I'd never even have to learn another thing in my life because I'm still accountable for what I already know. And we want more. Well, it's right that we want more of Jesus. But Jesus is saying, what have you done with what I've already given you? Okay, so next slide. What I did is I said, let's start with the end then. You're after transformation. He said, yes. So I said, okay, let's make that our end game, transformation. I said, you understand, right, that God is the only one that can bring transformation. Every pastor knows that because every pastor's tried to change people. And you finally go, I can't do this. And God finally says, da, na, 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 finally, you know. We know this. It's God's job to transform. So if some of you carry that, I got to fix them. I got to stop that. That's not your job. That's God's job. And yet he does a remarkable job of it, doesn't he? We're all testimonies to that. And we're still in process, aren't we? But we know that God can take the tiniest of apple seeds. And when that's planted in the ground, not only does it grow another apple, it grows a tree with multiple apples that can grow multiple orchards from one tiny seed. See, when you start looking at the world through the lens of multiplication and transformation, you see God built it into nature to remind us every day, oh yeah, I'm supposed to be multiplying. Oh yeah, there's supposed to be fruit. Okay? I'm not in this faith just for me. And guys, this isn't just a New Testament thing. The Bible tells us about Abraham in Genesis that he blessed him so he would be a blessing to others. Disciple making is you are discipled so that you can be a blessing by discipling others. Okay? So, transformation. Then, I said, let me tell you how it gets started. So, here's the next slide. It begins with revelation. Revelation is different than knowledge. We can Google. I love Google. I love our search engines. I love Siri. You know, we can get information, right? Information and knowledge is different than revelation. And we have a habit, you and me, of living off of information only. Revelation is when God pulls back the curtain so you can see it. It's like if you're at a school play. You remember this? Some of you were in plays. Some of you you know, would go to plays, but you remember you walk in and you, and you kind of sit in the stacked seats like this and there's a big, have you ever noticed it's black, navy blue or burgundy curtain? It's never magenta or yellow, all right? But you're sitting there, you're looking at the curtain, you don't know what's back there. Finally, someone flicks the lights, you go and sit down, and as you sit down, lights dim, and finally the curtain pulls back and you didn't know it was there five minutes before, five seconds before, once, but now when it's there and it's whether it's an old western town, a space shuttle, a Hawaiian, whatever the theme of the movie is, now where I didn't see, I see. That's revelation. Yeah. We all experienced that when we came to Jesus, right? But you're also experiencing it maybe this morning or when Pastor Lyle's speaking or when you're having a cup of coffee and, and God goes like this and he pulls the curtains and you see a spiritual truth. Yes. That's revelation. Yes. That's right. Remember, remember Jesus with the disciples when they said, hey, who do people say that I am? Remember that? Uh, some say you're John the Baptist, Elijah, one of the prophets. Who, who do you say that I am? Remember Peter pipes up? You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Listen to Jesus' words. Flesh and blood have not 
revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Flesh and blood cannot reveal or get by themselves spiritual things. It has to be revelation from God. It's when you're in your Bible. It's when you're in worship. It's when you're friends. It's all of a sudden when, when God just shows you something that you didn't see. Hopefully you've been having several points of revelation this morning. Where it's like, I didn't see that now. So, oh, I see. I, did, I didn't know. That's revelation. Okay. What do we do with that? Though these two roles are God's roles. God's doing the heavy lifting, the transforming and the revealing. Here's our role. The next slide. Obedience. When God reveals something to you, it is not meant to be negotiated. It's meant to be obeyed. And we've got to learn to obey the Lord. Remember Matthew 28, what we read? Teaching them to obey. So if you say, Dave, like, give me, like, I only got five seconds. What's disciple making? It's walking alongside somebody, teaching them how to obey Jesus. That's what it is. Teaching them how to obey Jesus. So guys, whether it's you that is getting the revelation or it's you're helping someone else, it's, it's walking side by side them. It's me coming alongside a leader in government and who's got these two decisions to make. And they say, Dave, as a godly leader, I need to know how do I, and so we'll say, let's look at the ways of God. Or they might, I might say, you know what, you just, how long till you, I gotta make this decision in 24 hours. Can I just encourage you to skip dinner or breakfast fast? Ask the yeah. Lord. Yeah. Teaching them God's ways. The word, the spirit, multitude of counsel, of godly friends, that's often the ways God gives revelation. But, but you know, I, I will never forget taking my little children to Lion King. Do you remember this movie? I know they had another one that just came out. But seeing the original and hearing James Earl Jones one day when I'm just sitting there and I heard, remember who you are, you're my son. <laughs> you know, so my kids are like, what's the matter, Dad? I always moved by, I can't, you know. And I'm crying because I, God, God just spoke, you, and he, we know he can do that. Yes. He can do that. Yes. But he can also do that as you're reflecting on the scripture quietly in your chair in the morning. Guys, disciple making. Like, just, just as we close, let's apply this. What's one thing this morning? And so I'm just going to ask three or four of you to raise your hands and just tell me. And don't, don't elaborate on it. Just tell me what was the, like, what did the Holy Spirit pull back the curtains this morning for you? That that was something like, and you know, and you can tell it's the Holy Spirit because you know you got to do something with it. You can tell it's the Holy Spirit because there's some heft behind it when you hear it. So let me just ask, let's apply this right now because this is where it gets real. So maybe three or four of you, like, let's just raise your hand if you like, what's one thing the Lord revealed to you this morning in these last 40 minutes, 45 minutes? Yes, sir. So focusing on the journey rather than the destination. Exactly. Game changer. That's a total game changer. Somebody told me that when I was about 30, half my life ago, I quit focusing on destiny because destiny's like, I love that stuff. 
but they said, focus on the journey and what will happen is all of a sudden you'll show up one day and you're in your destiny. Rather than, is it this, is it this, is it this? Now you're already there and you're equipped for it. That's awesome. Thank you. What else? Yes, sir. Like, uh, that discipleship is kind of a term that's, you know, like, what is this, what is this? But if I think of it as, like, revelation transfer, like, whatever revelations I have just transfer it to someone else. Yeah. yeah. That's a lot more simplified. Yeah. It is. And, and here's the one thing I'll add to that. You guys, when you pass on things God's revealed to you, you've got to have done the work in the word because if it's tethered to his revelation, it ain't going to last. He's got to ground that in the scriptures numerous times so he can say, this is what the word says because he might be his dear friend, but maybe he goes to heaven early. Then where does he go? You always, always, you got to remember the Holy Spirit is the inspire of the word as well as presence. Never forget that. And, and the word is something tangible in us that we can hang on to and hold in our hands. So always, always, always ground whatever things God shows you and run it through there because sometimes I've gotten some things that the Lord had to go, well, let's just, that's about 75%. Let's just, there we go. Run it through the word because the Holy Spirit will not contradict himself in the word. Okay, that's awesome. Thank you. Can I get one other? Yeah. Yeah, to take the time of who in my life can I invest in? Yeah, you guys, let me just close by saying this. If you can, your pastor will go to the moon if he knows that after every time he preaches, after every time you're in a small group, after every time you worship together, you reflect on these things. What did God reveal to me? How can I obey this in my life? That's how you grow fast. That's how you grow healthy. That's how you grow full. Just know that it's the word and the spirit. Okay? Can you stand with me? We'll close. Thank you for the privilege of letting me hang out with you guys today. <laughs> Lord, we thank you for the way that you lived your life and the way that you modeled things for us as a church. You had this vision way before we started meeting in buildings. You had this vision way before um, that you even died. You modeled it for three years for the guys. And you said, hey, just go do what I did for you and watch what will happen. And we have this thing called Acts that testifies and confirms that. So, Lord, I just would pray today that as we close in the name of Jesus, would you speak to us about where we are in our own discipling process? where we may need somebody to be more direct and in pouring into our lives. Thank you for Legacy College. Thank you for opportunities to grow, to build discipleship around teaching and worship. And Lord, for those like Brad just said, where there may be people that were to pour into, I just would pray, Lord, that you would allow us to look at that grid. Where have you given us favor with people? Where our words happen to be big in their ears. And help us, Lord, to translate that into spiritual passing on. So, Lord, we'll put a comma here for right now on disciple making. But I ask, Lord, that you would bless this church in this city in this time with a fresh mantle of being a reproducible disciple makers. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Thanks for tuning in to the Legacy Nashville podcast. If you'd like to support the ministry, you can do so at LegacyNashville.org forward slash give. If you're listening on iTunes, log into the store and give us a good rating and review. This helps our podcast reach new people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Until next week, love God, love people, and go change the world.